Amen. If I were to ask you, what is the gospel? The majority of us in the room would go to the very basic truth of the gospel, that we are sinful people deserving of death, but God in his kind mercy has provided means of grace, and that means of grace is his only begotten son whose name is Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we are forgiven. He has taken on the penalty that was due us because of our sin. And Jesus has taken it on. And these are wonderful truths of the gospel. I hope we know these truths of the gospel. We're going to talk a lot about them uh, in the book of Acts. But this does not take into account the full glory of Christ, the full work of the gospel, when we relegate it to simply that. At its core, the gospel is everything that God has done, everything that has been accomplished. We know through the gospel that Jesus also raises from the dead. He not only atones for sin by dying on the cross for sin, but he also raises from the dead, being victorious over death and sin itself. But it doesn't end there. Jesus also ascends to the right hand of the Father. We see in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, that Christ is the one who died. And this is the good news of the gospel. But Paul writes, more than that, he is the one who is raised and who is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the church. And that means that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel of the glorious God. The ascension of Christ is the coronation of King Jesus. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father on high. We see a picture of this in Hebrews chapter 1, that he who was made lower than the angels for a little while is now seated at the right hand in that beautiful passage as the angels are gathering around and worshiping the Son of God. Before Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father, he gives some instructions to his church. And the reason he gives instructions is because his ministry on the earth is not over. The ministry on the earth continues. And he gives his plan, his vision for the church. So a question we need to ask ourselves today and through the book of Acts is, what is the plan that Christ gives to the church? And what does the ascension have to do with it? The ascension is a significant aspect of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're to be honest, we don't talk about the ascension very much in our common day and normal lives. But after triumphing over death and raising from the dead and ministering to 500 people, as was preached last week, he ascended into heaven. Look with me in verse 9 of our passage today. It says, and when he said these things, referring to Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus literally was raised out of the earth, ascending out of earth's orbit. And his feet are now stationed in the heavens above. And this is something that visibly happened. 
The disciples saw this. They continued gazing up into the air, never seeing anything like this before. And the very feet that Jesus left in, in his human flesh, the angels say in our passage that he will return to the same earth and he will rule and reign forever. The ascension is a significant part of the ministry of Jesus. And it's not just to get him back into glory. I want us to consider before we get into our text today, a few things that occur because of the ascension of Christ. And if we can understand these basic things from the scriptures, we're going to have a better understanding of the book of Acts as we work our way through it. It's after the ascension that he gives the church gifts, as we see in Ephesians 4. Gifts to establish his local church. It's after the ascension, after he has passed through the heavens, that he is the interceding high priest praying always for his church, never sleeping, Hebrews 4. It's at the ascension that we have a king who has been given all authority. And this king is at the right hand of the father. He is the one who is in heaven, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. And all things, all things are subject under his feet. Powers and authorities and yes, even angels. It's after the ascension that we have an advocate before the Father. As we see in 1 John 1, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the one who took our sin upon himself. And when we agree with God where we have sinned, then God agrees with us by faith through working out in us where that grace through Jesus' blood is applied to our own life. He is our advocate. It's because of the ascension of Christ that we're also citizens, not of this earth any longer. We're citizens now of heaven because our lives are hidden with Christ in God who is in heaven. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 3. We also see that as Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand, he sends to us the helper who is the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says all the way back in John chapter 16 to the disciples that it's actually to their advantage that he goes away so that the spirit would come. And the book of Acts is going to help us understand that greater as we move through it. Here's something we don't think about often. Because of the ascension, man now sits enthroned in heaven, whom God has given all authority to. He is fully God and fully man, the incarnate God. This is why the doctrine that we unpack during the Christmas season is still so very important. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 that he has all authority, domain, and power over everything as the second and better Adam. Let me explain this as clearly as I can. In Genesis chapter 1, God gave Adam, the first man, the authority to, to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue the earth and to have dominion over it. But because he sinned, he lost that dominion. He lost that authority over the earth because he submitted to the other creatures of the earth, primarily the serpent, the great beast of the earth. But what the first Adam ruined, the second Adam is 
now undoing by his rule and his reign as he now has authority over all of creation. And yes, that includes the earth as well. And so he is reigning right now in glory over everything because the father has entrusted to him all things by his sovereign rule and reign. And that includes reclaiming and recapturing the very earth that would snatched from him in the garden. Uh, the very things that were taken from him. And so a reclaiming effort is now underway. And he uses his church, his people to be a part of that. And he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. This work is called the Great Commission. Most of us who have been walking with Jesus are familiar with this term. This is the church, the church's purpose. If you remember back at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus tells us to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And this is the work that we're about. We are now being fruitful. We are now multiplying around the earth people who follow Jesus Christ when we proclaim the word and when the Spirit empowers his work to open up their minds to understand their need for a savior. Jesus is reversing all of it as the king of heaven. And this is the great commission. And so this is the big idea of our passage today. It's really the big idea of the book of Acts. After Jesus' ascension, his ministry continues through the church by the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Everything that was snatched is now being undone as Christ rules and reigns supreme. Beloved, as we get into the book of Acts, my hope for us is that we would immerse ourselves in what God would have us learn about his great commission, about his great king, about his great plan to take the gospels to the end of the earth. We have a mission, a spiritual mission to take the gospel to every tribe, nation, and tongue and to bring people into the kingdom of God whom God has chosen. Brothers and sisters, will you commit in our study of the book of Acts to seek what God would have us do as a church, to have our categories reworked, to have the spirit scrub us clean of all of our wrong thinking so that it's informed by what his word has said and that we would trust his word. So how does Christ's ministry continue? Uh, how, how, how does it, after the ascension, move forward throughout the earth? And another question I want us to consider is, what does Jesus himself provide for us for this mission that he allows us to be a part of? Something I want us to remember, beloved, that the one who calls us to this mission is also the one who supplies us with the means to accomplish this mission. And we're gonna look at some of those things uh, today. The first thing I want us to look at in verses four through eight is that King Jesus provides us the message that we proclaim with this mission that we have been given, given. Verse four, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is what I want us to see in the first point. And you, he says, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Luke gives two accounts of the moments before the ascension. That's what, of, uh, of what's recorded in Luke 24 and what's recorded right here in Acts chapter 1. And in both of those accounts, he tells his disciples that you are going to be my witnesses. Now, it's interesting that as this mission begins, he doesn't gather all the PhDs in religion to come and listen to him. He he doesn't go to the great governments of all the world and with a microphone, ask them to blast what the Great Commission is all about. No, he, he takes these 11 ordinary, not extraordinary, common, underwhelming men. These guys who fled when he was arrested. Uh, The same guy, Peter, who denied him to a servant girl. Uh, The same ones, Peter uh, or James and John, who wanted to kill the Samaritans. This is God's extraordinary plan to start with these 11 ordinary broken, sinful, foolish, fearful men. And you can see from the text, they still just don't get it. Even after he's raised from the dead and even after he's ministered to them as a live man for 40 days, and you get the picture of this in verse six, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It seems like a good question given the sequence of of recent events, but it shows that the disciples still don't understand what's going on. It shows that their thinking is too small. They're too self-focused. They're still thinking that there's some political establishment that Jesus is going to, to accomplish for Israel or, or perhaps that the land itself is going to be reclaimed and, and regoverned at this time by Jesus. Look what Jesus responds to them in verse seven. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is kindly saying, it's none of your business. That's hard for, he, for us to hear because we like to know the business, do we not? We like to know the plan. What's the plan? What's the plan? And he's saying, it's not for you to know the final plan. And why would Jesus warn them? Why would Jesus tell them that it's not for them to know what the Father has fixed and the times that he's fixed and the seasons that he's fixed? Well, it's because he has a mission for his men. He has a mission that he wants them to go on. And and if they're distracted by all the things that they want at this time, then they will be distracted from accomplishing the very thing that he is asking them to do before he ascends to the Father's right hand. And, And notice what this message is. Notice what Peter says in verse eight. He says, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? That's the, national, the natural question that we should ask. We'll remember back what Luke had already written in chapter four in his first letter to Theophilus, 24, 46 to 48. Luke writes, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48 
you are my witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses because you have seen the way that I have perfectly fulfilled the law. Because you have seen my authority over the natural laws of man with my, my miracles and the way that, that even the weather itself obeys my command. Uh, you saw me horrifically crucified on a cross, but you have also seen me rise from the dead, being victorious over sin and death. And in just a few moments, they will see him ascend gloriously. You are my witnesses because you have seen these things. In the Greek, Jesus is saying, you are the witnesses that belong to me. It's like the emphatic. You're mine. Now, witness is a, is a legal term, and it affirms those who witness things, testify to things, uh, like holding up in court. They are to proclaim the truth about what they have seen in this person, Jesus, to people who will never have the privilege of seeing him with their own eyes. People like us. And they are to go out and to be the witnesses of this very message, the, the message of the forgiveness of sins that occurs when we repent they're eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They, they've seen the vindication that he is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the Lord and he is the savior. They've talked with him. They've ate with him. They've sat with the risen Lord Jesus. I love how the apostle John makes note of this in his first letter in chapter one. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has made, made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that you might have our joy, that our joy might be complete. They've seen him, they've touched him, they've witnessed these things. He's not some mythical figure. They have watched all of it unfold. And because of this, Jesus says, you are my witnesses. He says, this is really important because he gives them a command in Matthew 28 to go make disciples of all peoples. Pantata ethne is the Greek there. Every single people group in the world spread out this message. That's where you're supposed to go. And that includes us. We're in focus there. And their witness account, their eyewitness account actually matters for us today as we sit here and you hear the preached word. Consider what another apostle wrote, first, uh, Peter in 1 Peter 1. He writes to the church and he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Beloved, we are still holding the apostles' teaching. We are still trusting their eyewitness account of what occurred in those wonderful years as Jesus ministered here on the earth. Do you believe the apostles' witness? Do you trust it? 
Have you ever actually asked yourself, do I believe to the very core of my being everything that they have written? Do you believe what they taught us through the book of Acts? And, and I would ask you to write that question down. Do I believe what it is that is unfolding in the book of Acts? Because it sounds extraordinary, and it is. But they're writing all of these things down. It's not just some story that's in a, off in a far-off land. It has eyewitnesses' accounts that minister to us right now. And here's the reality. Beloved, he's calling us to do the very same thing. The message has extended to us 2,000 years, and we go and we make disciples. That's what disciples do. They have a teacher. The disciple learns everything that the teacher has taught them, and then the disciple becomes the teacher and disciples more people to understand the eyewitness account of the Lord Jesus Christ that was provided through these apostles. And it happens over and over and over again. Beloved, that is the business of the church. That is our main priority of the church. We are witnesses. We are not eyewitnesses of these things, but we're an extension of the eyewitness of these things because we have believed the eyewitness account of the apostles. That he came and he offered himself as the one single way for anyone in all of humanity to be reconciled back to God. That is what we testify to. That's what the apostles testified to. And that's what we, church, beloved, that is what we testify to. So oftentimes, do we not, when we're sharing the gospel, start with our own testimony? Well, I was once blind and now I see. I lived in darkness, now I'm living in light. And I think there's a place for our testimony to be a part of the, uh, of, the, of the witness that we give to Jesus Christ, but it is not the primary witness. The primary witness is the work that Jesus accomplished while he was here on this earth. That is what he is telling them to testify to, his work. Not what he's done in their lives, but what Christ has done for us. So beloved, we do the very same thing. And where does this message go? Well, he provides the scope of the message, and we're going to talk more about the scope of the message as it unfolds. But how do we become fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth? Well, this gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. You're my witnesses to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria.